I am sat near a lake very close to my apartment and what I can see is the waters, the ducks, um, you can maybe even hear the ducks, some of the swans and a few children with grandparents and in particular I can see a child who's wearing a unicorn hat and a tie-dye t-shirt. It's very joyful and exactly the tone that I wanted to begin this conversation. I'll let the ducks have a moment. They're coming very close. <laughs> so my name's Fazana Khan. My background has been in like youth and community organizing. I mean, I didn't choose it, it chose me. But also it was responding to the context in which I was growing up in a very working class, council estate, you know, EDL marching, rampant racism, rampant Islamophobia in, in Tower Hamlets, you know, really uh, experiencing the hostile environment and the deep experiences of unbelonging and wanting to know how we kind of like navigate and in youth work and community work, really thinking about how we do that as like racialized people, as working class people, you know, through my youth work, but also, you know, academically, I was exploring radical education, creativity and social transformation. Those have always been kind of like key components. And you know, by the time I was uh, 20, I was running um, my own kind of arts education program called Active Arts in East London, working with different council estates and in libraries and different spaces to really think about how we respond to the issues around us, but also constantly accessing our imagination in ways that are like powerful and transformative, um, though I didn't have that language then. When you say um, you didn't choose, choose the work, it chose you. Maybe you could just expand on that a little bit and I, I'm just really interested in what that actually means in terms of what you felt and how you saw your decision making emerge as you grew up, as you sort of came into the world, realised what the world was and saw what you were going to do in that yeah. world. Asata Shakur, she says something like, no one would choose this. Like, no one would choose, like, in a liberated world, I would love to be like a herbalist or a florist or a, you know, a maker or, you know, that's the stuff that we want to be. We wouldn't be choosing to, to have these fields or these sectors around trying to overturn, like, oppression and injustice. You know, I, I didn't think that this is what I was going to. I didn't think this is a, a career and I don't think it's a career. I see it as a you know, spiritual practice in a lot of ways or my craft. You know, when I was very young, I was always having it mirrored that was very bright that, you know, I would, you know, in quotations, do well. You know, I did very well in school despite, you know, not, you know, I didn't grow up in a house with books. You know, my parents were both in and out of hospital and that everyone around me, you know, is brilliant. And I see the state that I grew up is just like filled with geniuses in so many different ways. But, you know, in the kind of formalized academic sense, I didn't, that wasn't what I was exposed to. And I was an anomaly in a lot of ways. Like I was, you know, the first uh, woman, a guy I hadn't even gone to like the type of university I'd end up going to. So I was always like made aware that like my formal education was like a passport. Um, and that I would, I'd be able to like get out. And for me that 
wasn't a desirable thing because that felt like loneliness that felt like the people who were enabling my survival you know we grew up on an estate where neighbors were taking care of you picking up from school you know it was a, very much an ecosystem to buffer all the ways that people were not surviving i couldn't imagine where i would be going without leaving everything that was life to me behind and there's nowhere where i want to go where i'm leaving people behind along the way everything kind of lined up like i did my master's degree on radical education and through creativity and critical like resistance so things were informed by one another and that brought me i guess to here and it always feels like yeah things are aligning this work is so relational there's no way to do it and then you know if you're doing relational work that's being coming skillful in a way that you know there's no job description for it there's no blueprint there's no way you can go and just like google it and learn it it's such a tactile constantly being worked way of being and you know that's why i always say like youth workers and community workers are like some of the best people to look to because they're constantly engaged in relational work but young people are like bullshit detectors so you can't it's not a place where you can be in pretense and be successful you have to be authentic so you're exercised and rehearsing being relational in a way that i think in other sectors or in other fields or other spaces you can get away with and you just can't it's not effective could you just actually break down what you mean by authentic in terms of in practice in terms of like what it feels like yeah to you and what is inauthentic I think for me, authentic is living and moving with integrity um, as much as is available. Like we all come out of integrity all the time and integrity I, by integrity, I mean the alignment of what we say, what we do, what we're, you know, calling in, even how we're feeling. Like do those things match up? Do all the facets of ourselves match up as much as possible? And is it congruent with our reality? And this is also why I think the trauma work is really interesting because it allows us to have an appropriate response. You know, like sometimes rage is appropriate and that's the integrity of the situation. Sometimes like deep grief, deep, you know, protesting, all of these different things are appropriate. So I think integrity is being able to be in congruence with your reality, holding your emotional, physical, spiritual, energetic lands, like landscapes in, in as much tact as is possible and consistently. Could you talk a little bit about Healing Justice London and give some like very concrete examples of things that you do as an organisation? We're launching our the kind of next two years at Healing Justice, we emerged out of a lot of frontline community practice, deep learning, deep reflection, deep iteration. So now really thinking about like, what is the structural transformation that we can support? And we often use this phrase, like we create capacity for transformation. So a lot of the spaces when we're thinking about marginalized communities, racialized communities, or in different communities that are experiencing oppression, we're like, 
they should lead change, da, 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 all of this stuff without thinking about what's the resourcing, material, emotional, spatial, temporal, like all of the different types of resourcing that a person needs. So it's not extractive participation, but it's like meaningful, impactful, consequential presence that is then determining and shaping reality. And so at Healing Justice London, we've been sitting a lot with like, what would abolition look like in our lifetime? And recognizing that we have to practice, that liberation is a practice, and we are what we practice. And so we have a, a vision or a two-year strategy model that we're, we're exploring that understands, you know, community-centered health coming from those most marginalized and already are like building as an appropriate way to respond to kind of carceral or policing structures like like the police, but also psychiatric institutions, also housing structures, also job centers, entire infrastructures that like operate from a very carceral logic, operate from a, a place of anti-life essentially and anti-particular types of life. And so we're looking at what is the infrastructure that needs to be built that is life affirming. And we our strategy is framed around a concept that Ruth Gilmore Wilson put together, which is rehearsing freedoms. And it just coins our work very well, because how do we practice freedom? How do we practice liberation? And that it is a practice. And what we're doing over the next two years is thinking about collective capacity building and collective opportunities to vision together, to organize around a vision which is around reimagining public health, which is around building alternative health ecostructures and healing ecostructures. Um, so that's what we're building towards. And in our work in rehearsing freedoms, we have this very multi-layered strategy because we know that there needs to be lots of different entry points. And then we're, not, we're all coming from different spaces. So we have things that are much more on a grassroots level to then a policy level, to on a cultural level, to coalition and movement building and rehearsing freedoms has uh, two tracks one track which is really looking at community resourcing and internal capacity building within our communities and that can be building language together having tools to to move through and repattern trauma to deepen our understandings of what racialized trauma is what oppression-based trauma is so really trying to build opportunity to resource ourselves in that kind of community public program but also to you know self-determine what that what the work needs to be and what is it we need and what's the analysis and what's the language we need the second dimension of that track is socializing our most radical ideas because there's so much genius here so much wisdom so much brilliance but it often is situated in the margins what we want to do is not mainstream it in terms of coming to the center and diluting, but actually amplifying our radical ideas in a way that it's socialized and applies to every, you know, applies and is in tactile, it's in everyone's hands. So how does a framework of healing justice support us? You know, how does embodied trauma work support all of us? And how can that be in the hands of everyone? And we're all skillful at it because if we're trying to make policing structures redundant, then we have to be able to have community accountability. A third area of that is our cultural strategy and really holding 
Um, there's a brilliant um, Turkish chef, Musa, who I forget his surname, I'm really sorry, but he says culture is what everybody lives. And so how do we have a cultural strategy that is creating opportunity for us to reimagine the alternatives? Because imagination is a muscle, it has to be strengthened. And often we're reimagining within the confines of oppression. So having a cultural strategy where we're practicing imagining together. And then a fourth area around building like a people's power power base and the people's power base is we've got next year a festival which is site specific over a prolonged time where we're going to do a lot of applied teachings or rehearsing freedoms like what does it mean to rehearse consent when someone is experiencing distress what does it mean to rehearse in a non-reactionary way deregulating or de-escalating a stop and search or how, how do we rehearse dealing with disclosure? So we're moving out of reactionary, and though sometimes we do need to be reactionary, so I don't want to dismiss it, but actually that we are practiced in it, that we're skillful in it, and that we're able to present choices as, aside from what is our default or our dominant in moments of pressure. Um, and that will kind of culminate in a people's assembly and a people's kind of health manifesto or charter that then takes us towards iterating a model of public health or public health provision. And that's on a really kind of civic people's, you know, our common sense, our public, like in our hands, everybody, all of us. Um, but the second side is track is much more on a kind of people who are leading already and building practice and innovating and driving change from lived experience communities, from marginalized communities, and really supporting you know, connection, becoming connective tissue in that muscle and then also like strengthening it. And so we're doing, you know, embodied transformation work with leaders to sustain our movements, but also the places where our leadership might have tensions or needs opportunity to like innovate and explore without our work or our practice being seen as failure or we're not burning out so we've got a kind of a strand of work that it really is to support and and to build the field to build the work to build the landscape towards this and um, seeing it in a very applied sense so from you know trainings to test spaces where we're you know exploring ideas together and hacking at things to then coming rejoining with the festival where we're doing the kind of rehearsing together of you know the skills we'll need for revolution and the skills we'll need to actualize the world we're calling in for. In your first lot of interviews, you spoke about um, an anti-colonial perspective of what time is, which I really liked. Okay. So could you take I'm a deep breath and like... <laughs> yeah, I can try. I come from the Muslim tradition and while I don't essentialize like God or or spirit or whatever, and I draw and and from lots of different spiritual traditions, I think Islam has this really beautiful concept um, when we're thinking about time, because, you know, a lot of the time, time um, is constructed in this very linear way, um, but it it's in the service of, like, coloniality and also racial capitalism, which time is loss. And so, and we're always losing time and we're always running out of time. 
is something that like exists within these kinds of logics and actually uh, you know growing up and and exploring this concept of tawhid and tawhid is this i mean i think loads of indigenous and spiritual traditions have this but this essentially is a state of deep unity and oneness where time and space collapse and time and space are seen as forms of separation and in that space you know we are you know you might touch it in like a deep meditative space where you're just like everything and everyone and i like to see it as like the reversal of say coloniality and, and colonization relied on this cartesian logic of i think therefore i am and so what that did was means that rational thinking or the totalizing of reason affirmed existence and it also meant that it externalized your self-worth it was because you thought that you existed in in the quran we have kun fayakun be and it is and i see the kind of i think therefore i am as like the state of separation and and externalizing of self-worth but the be and it is is the kind of you are and and therefore it is like therefore you know and so it's this aversion of that that logic uh, but also that the the state of beingness of like these questions of ontology which we're not and when we think about race and june jordan says says it in her you know in one of her and i'm gonna paraphrase really badly but she says something like the most pertinent question in america is for the the black or body is how can i be who i am and i think oppression is always trying to fold you into falsehood it's always trying to like make you other than what you are but it's also denying you like the existence and also become becoming because we're we're always in states of becoming and it doesn't allow that and we see that in race racism we see it in islamophobia that it, it fixes us into these states which are removed and fragmented and so i think concepts like tawhid are and and the collapse of time and space and that bring us to the we are and so it is be and so it is and so i'm always thinking about like what that offers us but then when we bring it into the trauma field and you know we're thinking about trauma and and the ways in which we heal and we also understand like you know what we know in the and one of the things that Enkem and Defo from Lumos transforms and she's a I think a pioneer in 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 the trauma field. I remember her once saying the body never lies, but it's not always on time. And you know, and I think it, it, there's something really powerful about the body's has the truth, holds the truth of your experiences and your realities and as a very protective mechanism says to you like this is when you can know, this is when you can access. And so it's in time and not in time and it holds both of those things right and so i think that there's something really powerful in the ways in which we can explore time outside of racial capitalism in the ways of like it puts us into productivity and value you know when you're a child you're not valuable when you're an elder you're not valuable and actually like a lot of indigenous traditions don't think about that think about that we think about things much more cyclical much more interdependent and also that you know i know like again drawing from islam you know the child and the elder that the you know the, because the child is the soul that just came into the body and the elder is 
returning. They're the closest to truth because they're not in the facades of social constructs. And so there's always so much wisdom in in in, in the soul of the, the child and, and truth. Um, and also why we're often encouraged to spend time with elders and people who are uh, passing because they're touching the, the, the space outside of of this um, these constructs. So there's, I think, a lot of stuff there. One of the questions which on purpose was an impossible question in the in the prompts you got was like describing the current moment that we're in. Yeah. And that was interesting for us because we New Constellations started before the pandemic. Yeah. But then the pandemic happened and it suddenly sort of everything was just talking about build back better, blah yeah. blah blah. It changed the whole narrative. But we were kind of already in a place before that where everything was rising to a kind of bubble. Yeah. You know, it just feels like we're still in part of that to me. How would you go about describing, what are some things in the current moment that you think are specific to this moment and that are pressing on your work or influencing your work or you're responding to? I think we're definitely in a time where we're realizing a lot of the ways in which the world has been organized is so profoundly unsustainable and unsustainable for everyone except for the elite few that are protected from the consequences of it but also don't they don't win right like the way i i always understand violence as disconnection and the ways in which we're disconnected from our bodies disconnected from our communities constantly in states of like disconnection and 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 so and forms of like forced separation and actually like even the elite occupy positions and live out positions of like deep separation and disembodiment that allows them to keep. I mean, for example, you know, some of the stuff that we've been seeing right now with uh, Ukraine and how a lot of people, you know, came onto TV and media and establishment folks were like, oh, these are civilized people, um, these types of refugees, not, um, not like you know, people in Syria or, or Muslims here or black folk. It's like really having this kind of really, you know, using that colonial language of like barbarian and civilized, the civilized. And for what for me, what is arresting and, and stunning is that like to hold that position is actually from a diminished space of humanity. Like that to me is uncivilized, like to move from a space where you cannot, your empathy is only extends to what looks like you. And then also not being able to hold the conditions and context that created refugees, that's created wars, that's created, you know, all the forms of violences that exist on racialized people, um, on Muslims, all of that, despite the profound amount of information evidence and to choose to be so deeply in affinity to your sense of self it's not real you know whiteness is a construct um it's a uh, it's it, it's a social construct and so to be so tied to that sense is a diminished humanity and like that's really sad to me that's really sad that you didn't afford yourself more life like you chose your chose that and so I think that there's something where right now we are 
in reckoning, like it's such a reckoning of all of those deep, cumulative, the slow violence, the long-term, like chronic, unsustainable social constructs that are, you know, coming to a head or we're seeing them manifest in everything, in every way as being unsustainable. And also just for people who want to hold on to that for whatever reason, it's like deeply sad and pathetic and but also it's fatal, like it's also fatal, it has consequences, you know, when folks go on TV and say that it has, has consequences, it, it and, and so I think that that bit is, is very, very much here and right now. You see I'm nerding out. <laughs> that's exactly what, that's exactly what I like... want and hoped. Well, I've gone completely off track, so I'm just going to have a think if there's anything which I think is super important before I ask you what is in you that you want to let out. But before I do that, can I ask you about you as an as an artist and as a, like, I mean, I guess, like, actually starting from, like, the part of you that wants to make things. I have to be more than what I'm fighting and I didn't choose this. So I'm always, and how do we like, I'm always thinking about what happens when we like realize what we long for. And I think part of what I'm in this work, the liberation work is so deeply fueled by desire. Like that we're longing for like these deeply just connective worlds that I also believe is possible. And I think, um, you know, my practice as an artist or a cultural producer, there's lots of facets to it. One is that I've always been creative and, and that may have been like a survival strategy. And also like growing up in ends, you're constantly like having to like survive and always like trying to practice the genius of like reimagining outside of something. And then also being dyslexic and so you know knowing that sometimes my modalities of expression uh yeah just have to be much more adaptive and being curious like I think I've always been really curious about what else is possible here and then having marrying that with the practicalities of like you know challenging injustice and like in our lifetimes how do we do this and so I've been reluctant over the years to call myself an artist. I don't have the right language for it. And I, my, one of my mentors, David Belly, called, you know, was the first person to say, you're a curator. And like seeing my work as like curating, building relationships, mapping relationships, doing that connective work, mapping connect, like concepts, bringing things together and identifying a set of relations and how they can move together and strengthen or, or or pull apart like those or not exist and exist so like really seeing that as part of my work on a structural level but also on a very deeply intimate level and then I think there's another part of me as an artist which I didn't realize it was just from doing the work is as a producer that i produced and I think over the years loads of people have called me cultural producer executive producer and I have you know I've you know done the kind of formal sides I've been to film school and script writing you know all different types of kind of writing and all of these types of things but more on that kind of like social sculpting or doing the kind of 
configuring reality level, seeing the kind of like, as a producer, what I love about um, producing is that it does two things. It thinks about space and time. It thinks about how you create space, how you create time on a spreadsheet. And I love a spreadsheet and how you do, how do you practically do that? And then how do you take something that is so intangible, so unimaginable, and how do you set up and line up the conditions that take us towards that? And so I think having the kind of skills as a producer, to, sorry, to, to be like, hey, okay, this is like completely out there and unimaginable. And what does that look like? And, you know, as a producer, you might be like, this is how it looks on the screen. This is how it looks as a, um, you know, on a on a platform this is how it looks but I love that that and saying that how do we make things possible how do we translate how do we that those types of skills I think are really critical for the diligent organizing we need especially if we want to stay hopeful and have as Marion Carver says hope as a discipline but also to be visionary like to be able to like okay know what's outside of everything we're living and how do we dream it how do we kind of like you know make windows and portals for it so I think as an artist I, I I'm still feeling my way around what that is but I know I have a craft and I know I have a practice and it shapeshifts and I and I also see how different artistic disciplines have grown me last year I started singing and learning how to sing and just learned how to breathe actually and what it meant for for me to fill my body with a breath and then that, that just is really practical things of like the breath as an infinite resource and when you have nothing can I just come back to breath and how can I offer myself breath pause so yeah just recognizing the different disciplines and art forms is also like really necessary skills for the time at hand which Toni Morrison says this is when it's despair artists go to work and so it's time I really like what you say about producing it really makes sense to me in like radio and TV the producer is looked as the person who doesn't do anything and you know the writer or the yeah. get all of the thoughts as if as a special creative person. Yeah. And that's always I've always just felt it's the wrong way of thinking about it. Ab- it's just wrong. Absolutely. Because everybody's creative. Yeah. Like and there's so much creativity in those other types of roles. Like I think about admin and I think about logistics and I think about operations. And for me those things are sexy because they're so integral to how we do things and I think it's how we're looking and and this moment in time when we're trying when we know all these systems of oppression are like they roll out like in the invisible they roll out in the internalized they they build and accumulate and so the how matters and so I'm always looking at the how that how was this made how was this designed how does this exist how is this maintained you know, how is this used? What context, which conditions? I, I think the how really matters. And so the people who are doing that work and then also thinking about labor divisions, like so much of that is invisibilized, gendered, 
you know we we don't think about about it as like the you know you know we want a charismatic iconic leader but actually it's the deep practice the deep you know the deep codes that we work with the deep kind of making and unmaking and learning is actually where the depth of growth happens like it's the the depth of it and i and i looked at you know some of the best and most visionary people and they do all of it like they do and they don't always have to be doing that i think there's you have you should be appropriately placed at different points in your life but actually they've been on that journey of like you know they will sit down and they'll do the budgets they'll sit and they'll organize an event they'll be at the front line and actually all of that kind of skill building one helps you value invisibilized labor which also relates to power dynamics but it also helps you respect and appreciate what it takes to make a thing what it takes to realize and i also personally and it's probably the thing that i want to say is when i reflect on my life and and i've spent most more than half my life now organizing and in, in forms of activism and it's always bittersweet for me because as i said it's not a choice but there's nowhere else i would be and i have agency um and and i've been growing that agency and i think that there's something really that i reflect on and and that my kind of closest people around me will say you know fazana you make it a lot of this look easy and so there's an assumption that the work the level of depth of rigor rigor and rigor and relentless organizing and work just happens and some of the reasons you don't get to visualize it is purely on capacity like you just don't have time to visualize all the work the other is that you don't want to like dishearten people you want to stay you know nurture hope um and then the other side of it i think is also around like coming from ends you, you have a you always you know choosing a battle so it's like what are you going to talk about today you're going to get disheartened by every bump every bruise so you're, there's an element of like enduring and moving through and that also has its has its place and and not but i think that the thing that i'm recognizing and learning is like it is really important to visibilize and it's a responsibility to find ways to visibilize and some of it you it's the onus is not on you other people have to go and do the work and be proactive around that deep detailed depth of work and we do have a culture which is so instant instantaneous which is like we're moving across lots of different things everyone you know has to do everything instead of really becoming skilled and having that depth of practice and craft which then that's where you kind of an imico from civic square really often reminds me of this is like the more that you're deepening in one thing that's when you see oh that's a particular type of bump you know what's the relationship 2 years in what are your responsibilities to a community 5 years on what are your relationships you know to a community after grenfell you know like or something like grenfell so i think that there's this element of when it comes to the producers the kind of those deep roots and branches and that kind of the vessels are like like i see it as the kind of invisible like maps and roots and and roads like how do we visibilize it as a way to say this is what it takes to do this work without cushioning the brunt of it but cushioning how like heavy and and deep and 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 dark some of that work can be um but also reminding people that it can be really exciting and fun and fruitful and 
you know you we're we're so intelligent and like if we brought our curiosity to that and if we brought like hey actually like how do i try this in a different way i just think uh we'd be in a different space and and so i'm really excited to also be in a place where i'm now really advocating for the sexy work of admin and logistics and producing because it really is there is a a quiet revolution there I just, I don't know, I just think, I want us to try, I think that's where I am today, I think today I'm, I think so much is possible, we have nothing to lose, so let's go, like, let's just try, and yeah, that's where I'm at today, like, really, we have, we have nothing to lose, so all in, and, and particularly today, I, I tweeted about it, which is, I said, you know, my Jumma feelings, my reflections for, for Friday are abolition in our lifetimes. Let's go, you know.